0: Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. My afternoons are conflicted. The children and I are both excited to see each other when school ends. But after that short walk home, we have to tackle something we all dread, homework. My guest today is the homework guru, Amari Eccleston-Brown, who spent his life tackling education by thinking outside the box, and with a decade of experience supporting children preparing for exam or finding school difficult, has realised that it's possible, regardless of your child's ability, to make homework a positive, enjoyable and fruitful experience. He's the author of a new book, The Secret to Happy Homework, The Seven Hidden Laws of Success. Amari, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Uh, This is such an important subject because I speak to so many of my friends and it is a consistent battle. Why is that such a consistent feeling? Why why do we all have the same experiences over over homework?
1: Because I think the reason that battles happen so often is because essentially kids so often don't want to do it. So when I say, I was with one of my students the other day, and I just happened to have my book on my laptop as I went over for the lesson. And he went, why do you put the word happy in front of homework? Homework's not happy. And I said, what words would you use to describe homework? He was like, "Uh, boring, horrible. Terrible. Pointless. <laughs> Pointless. I mean, so kids, by and large, don't like homework, and so, but then parents are often put into this position of they have to be homeworks managers. I say that children, that parents have to become the manager. So, as you say, you're walking home with your children, and then in the door, and then first thing you know, you have to be like, okay, what homework do you have? When are you going to do it? Let's start. Let's get it done. And I think that what so often happens, and I see with parents, is that. Children and parents end up getting into a role and then what all that happens is every evening is that you play out your roles. So the kid's role is, right, my role is I say this and I resist. And the parent's role is I get annoyed and I nag or I bribe or I threaten and then it just plays out the same way. But it's basically because the parents feel this pressure that they must get the homework done, otherwise they're not being a good parent, otherwise their child's going to fall behind the other kids, otherwise what's the teacher possibly going to think of them? And the child just feels like, well, this is a burden. I'd much rather do play on my Xbox. I'd much rather just chill, let let alone, rather than do this homework.
0: And they're tired at the end of the day too. I mean, they've had a big, long day. I mean, we start education so much earlier in the UK than most of the rest of the world. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I get, I get it from their point of view. I mean, imagine if I went on holiday and then someone was like, "Oh, actually you need to write this article. I'd feel massively disappointed because I'd finished my working schedule and then someone was presenting with my, more work.
1: Exactly. I mean, how much does your heart sink when you kind of, you've signed off for the day and then you get that last email in going, right, I need this by you know, two o'clock tomorrow. And you're like, oh. you know, I would planned I was going to break out a bottle of wine. I had my whole evening planned out. It might have involved some bubble bath and now I've got to do some work. And the amount that you resent that. So I do think, I mean, we were talking just earlier before we started recording about how much that parents, you know, if we just stopped and think or thought, how would it be like for me as an adult if somebody asked me to do these things, how outraged I would be in some cases. And then we can begin to have some sort of compassion for our children and what they have to do.
0: And presumably acknowledging with our children, I know that's the last thing you feel like doing. I know you want to sit down and just, play your Xbox or read your book or whatever it is, does that help with oh, in terms gosh. of uh, they're not going to go, yeah, so just don't make me do it, or they are going to say, okay, you're not such a bad guy?
1: Well, I think the point is if you only leave it there and say, I know how, how terrible it is, maybe their reaction is going to be, uh, well, then why are you making me do it? <laughs> I think that's quite a reasonable reaction. But then you have to obviously, then you end it with you explain why. But that first piece, what you're doing there is you're showing empathy. And rather than being, so it's actually, there's a parenting expert, which I really love, called Susan Stiffelman And she talks about rather than coming at our children, which we often do, it's coming alongside them. So doing that, which essentially what you're doing is you're doing reflective listening, which is basically you're seeing how they are and you're seeing the emotion that's underlying either their behavior or what they're saying. So it might be that they're frustrated and you're reflecting that back to them going, hey, look, I really know that you're frustrated. You know what? I probably would be frustrated as well. And maybe you can share something from either your experience as a child or even as an adult, you know. Last weekend, I had to do some work, you know, over the weekend and I really didn't want to. And I really had to, you know, I felt so frustrated. But then in your example, you say, why you did do it after all? And I think what reflective listening and that empathy shows, it allows the child to kind of have their frustration legitimized and validated and to have it heard. And then there's actually space for them to move beyond that. But all that happens is, and this is often tell parents how they get locked into battles is when you don't acknowledge the legitimacy of their frustration in the first place, all that does is it just makes it bigger, and then they push back and then you push back and then you get kind of you just get into this place where you lock horns, whereas acknowledging it diffuses it, and then you can move on to okay, but the reason why it is important is because we have to do this, and then you can actually be there to help you can go. I know it's frustrating so how can i help you to look at a way that we could do this do we need to give you a 10 minute break do we need to break it down into chunks so let's say it's a 30 minute um or rather 30 sums hey maybe we could do it in five sums and then after every five sums hey mommy or hey daddy i'm gonna do 10 star jumps with you right and then just make it a bit fun of course That's if we're talking about younger kids. For slightly older ones, again, it's just giving them strategies to kind of break it down and actually manage their time better. Mm
0: And obviously that then leads on to the next question that what is the point of homework? Because I think a lot of us parents do struggle with that. You know, your your children who are, you know, bright and articulate go, I just don't understand. I've been in school from 8 a.m. today. We've been doing so much of this verbal reasoning, whatever they're having to do. I find it so boring. What difference is another 30 minutes going to make? Mommy, I've done this all day long. I want to do something that's more constructive and fun that I want to do. And I really struggle then to say, no, still, still do more verbal reasoning. <laughs> what is the point of homework? What is the purpose of it?
1: Well, there's two ways I can answer that question. But I'm going to start with the way that actually might make a difference with your kids. <laughs> so the way that might make a difference to your kids is that I would actually turn that back on them. I would turn the question around and ask them, well, what do you think is the point of homework? And have them say, now, what you might then get is a splurge of all the things that they think are absolutely pointless, or they may just say it's pointless. But then you can go, well, let's have a look at it because it exists for a long time. If they've got an older sibling, your brother had to do it, your sister had to do it. So why do you think, you know, I had to do homework? So it's been there for a long time. So why do we think homework might be important? Then they might have an idea. But really where you want to get to is to help them find a reason why homework is going to be important for them. So that they have that sense of meaning. And I always say that it's not about making them see what the point of homework is, where it's like, right, I have an idea in my head. And my job is to persuade you or convince you that that's why you have to do homework. Much better to help them to discover it, help them see. So for instance, so one of my students, and I write about this in the book, he was preparing for Westminster at the seven plus. So I could have gone in there and said, right, what we're doing is the reason we're doing homework is because you've got this exam and your brother's already there. And so you want to be able to get to the same school as your brother. This is the point of what we're doing. And that. I said, you know, what are you interested in? He was interested in reading. He had all these books, lots of kind of, you know, David Walliams and all these colorful different books. And as he told me about this, I was like, you know what, you are a really great storyteller. I can just hear it in the way you've told me about your day. And so there's this really brilliant story writing competition, national one, um, called 500 Words, which is done by BBC Radio 2. And we got him, and I showed him the website, again, really lovely and colorful. And I said, how about we enter this? And how about that be, that is the reason why we're here. And he loved the idea. So then everything we did from that point was still the same stuff that I knew as a teacher that I needed to get him to do. The comprehensions, the creative writing tasks and so on. But for him, the point of it was he was preparing for his entry to this 500 words competition where if he won, he got to go to the Buckingham Palace and meet Camilla Parker Bowles and maybe Prince Charles. And he was just lit up by this idea because what it was doing was feeding into his self-concept of hey, I'm a great writer. This is something I really love. And he had a vision. So much better than kind of having an idea yourself as a parent what homework's for, much better to throw it back to them and kind of help them discover, well, by doing this, what's something that you're interested in that it could help develop? Now I said there are two answers to this. The second part, which I don't think is so helpful, is of course what we want homework to do is most parents want homework to provide information about what their kids are doing. I think that's an important thing for For parents to be able to have a sense of knowing what their kids are doing at school so they can support them and maybe do sort of extracurricular things, whether it's a visit to a museum or a project around what they're doing. Parents want to be able to know that their children are kind of consolidating, that's another important part, that they're consolidating what they've done in school and that they're having a chance to sort of work on things that they're struggling with. And there's a sense that homework is a good sort of diagnostic tool in that sense that will show up where they're struggling. The other thing is that homework is a chance to improve their grades. Now, we might get on to that about how much that actually is the case. And then finally, I think that there's this sense that homework has this sort of grander goal, which is teaching your children a good work ethic, how to be independent, how to manage their time, um, which it can do, but only if you're doing it properly. Not doing it properly is if you're basically taking all the independence away from your child by saying, right, you must do it now. Sit down and hovering over them. Of course, that's not teaching them to be independent whatsoever, which is often what happens when you get locked in the battles. And it's just about making them do the homework rather than actually learn anything from it.
0: Yeah. Interestingly, I I, I remember getting that memo about that sort of independent work. So one of the things I was told right at the beginning was, you know, homework is a good you know, way for us to work out how much your children's gotten if they do need any extra support. But also it is something they need to do on their own. Don't try and try and teach them. So I always said to my children, right, your homework is up to you. If you don't want to do it don't do it but then that's a conversation you have to have with your teacher and if your teacher's chilled about that I'm chilled about that but if your teacher's disappointed then that's a conversation you're going to have and also not to correct it and I've tried that you know I understand about decimal places but when I try and explain them to my eight-year-old it's impossible for a start she, she she doesn't listen to what I say but also I'm not a teacher and it's sometimes it's a really interesting window into I understand it but I can't really articulate why I understand it and I can't get someone else to understand it. Do you agree with that, that sort of approach that I took that your homework is yours to do yourself and I'm not even going to read it over to see if it was correct? You just hand it in and, or is that a bit harsh?
1: I definitely don't think it's harsh. I, think that, I don't think there's anything wrong as a parent with looking over the homework with your child and then going, mm, there's a mistake here because then that can be part of the learning. And also, I think we'll hopefully we'll get on at some point in, in talking today onto sort of the topic of failure. But I think there's also a really important thing there to help them to, to kind of look at their mistakes and learn that making mistakes is part of learning. And that also, but obviously not just making the mistakes, but learning how to kind of correct those mistakes. So I think there's something valuable in that. But I think certainly what there isn't any value in and is actually Does a disservice to your child's development is if, as a parent, you're what they call helicoptering. And so, actually, and so many parents kind of find that homework becomes kind of their homework. And you can catch it when they say, Oh, we've got, you know, and they use that pronoun. It's like, What do you mean, we? I'm pretty sure it's your child that's got homework. And so, Oh, yeah, we did an English essay yesterday. So then you kind of really know that the parent is seeing the child's homework somewhat as a reflection of them. And so they really find it hard to step back and let go and they will see a mistake and they just can't resist kind of correcting it and going, mm. and then they even, you know, I've even seen parents just sort of take the pencil from the child or take the laptop where it's easy, obviously, because it's not their handwriting. And then they can just kind of, let me just do this quickly because they kind of get frustrated and they just want to get it over and done with. So that's not valuable. I definitely love what you did with your sister and your sister with your daughter <laughs> and probably with, with your son as well, of kind of going, you know what? this is your job, this is the homework you've got to do. Because I think that that exactly does teach them to be independent and you've got to manage it. And also helping them to be aware of that natural consequence. Well, look, I'm not going to force you to do your homework, but if you don't do it, just be aware that you, I'm not the only one that you have to answer to. In fact, I am not the one that you have to answer to. Your teacher's the one that said it, so you're going to have to have a conversation with them. And you know, your teacher might not be okay with that. And so be aware that you know, actions have consequences. So you have a choice in this matter, but just be aware that if you make a certain choice, there might be a consequence that comes with it. And I think being that's great. But are right, giving
0: important. children a choice, that's probably also really so important part of it. Because I hate being bossed around. I yeah. get that my children hate being bossed around and they're basically told what to wear because of school uniform, and they're mm-hmm. told to go to assembly and to write in a certain way. So I suppose also saying it is your choice, you can choose not to do it, but there will be consequences, is, is something that's quite empowering for them.
1: Yeah, and I think also, I mean, it's actually a very simple and effective way to have them be able to, to get over their resistance that they naturally feel. And it's also, just to say, developmentally appropriate that they show that resistance, especially towards their parents. Because basically the job of growing up is to leave the nest, right? And it's to kind of assert your own independence against your caregivers, your primary caregivers, and be able to go out there. So when your children pushes back, of course they push back against you, and they don't against... Their teachers as much, or the person who visits and they seem to be angelic. It's because that's, you know, their biological imperative isn't there for them to push back against those people. But in that, giving them choice is exactly what they need. So by giving them choice, often the fear is that parents have that they will then choose the thing that they don't want them to do. (laughs) But actually, they'll probably choose the thing that you do want them to do because now they've been given the choice. So, you know, when I teach kids, I give them as much choice as possible. And the other thing that you can do as a parent is you can give them choice within parameters. You don't have to say, all right, you can do whatever you want. You set some parameters. And so an example of that would be, okay, homework. Because when you start homework is always a big thing for parents. Like, when should you start? Well, here's the parameters. You're going to get home at four. We have dinner at six. And that's a non-negotiable because we're going to have dinner together at six as a family because that's important for us as a family. And it is always good to give a reason why rather than just say this is the rule. So you've got a two-hour window there. How you use that two-hour window is up to you, right? You can start homework straight away or you can have a break. You can have a break of between 20 and 40 minutes and then you can start your homework. And what that allows your child to do, it allows them, one, gets some thinking and problem solving, which is what so many parents want. So allow them to solve that problem of, but when's the best time? And that your child might discover that, you know what? I much rather get it out of the way because I don't want it hanging over me. I don't want to, you know, have to think about it. I don't want you potentially nagging me. I just want to get it done. And they'll make that choice for themselves. Or they might be the sort of child that goes, you know what, day, you know my day at school is really long. I just don't have the energy to do this straight away. I do want to take that 20 to 40 minute break and then i'll do my homework but i know that that's down on me and the fact that you've simply given them a choice and they feel that sense of autonomy then they have this ownership and when any of us just human psychology have a sense of ownership then we don't feel like well somebody's making me do it so just because of that i'm gonna resist and they will they will do it because they go oh and every child wants that from the time that they you know tie their own shoelaces or they you know every child backs your hand away and goes no. Let me do it, when you try and do something.
0: You're like, I just want to get out the door let me do it. (laughs) Yeah,
1: children want to feel a sense of autonomy. And that's how they learn. You know, children first learn through imitative behaviour. They look at their role models, they look at their parents, they go, ooh, they're big and they seem to be doing this. I want to do it. And so you see them come down in your makeup and your high heel shoes or whatever, because they want to feel grown up. And it's so easy to give them a sense of that by just giving them choices. And if you're kind of a bit worried about it, like I say, give them a choice within a parameter. And so you're still being what I call the captain of the relationship. Or well, actually, it's a phrase I got again from Susan Stiffelman, Captain of the relationship. So you're in charge of where this relationship flows, right? But that doesn't mean that you have to rule with an iron fist. You can be like, okay, we need to get from here to here. I know that I'm in charge of the general direction that this is going. But, you know, we're on the sea and there's, you know, it's going to go off a little bit. And, you know, I'm in charge of also being able to course correct. I'm calm enough to know that I've got this handled So I'm able to kind of give you, you know, a bit of the helm for a little bit between, you know, between A and B. Because I know that really our ultimate goal is Z. Hey,
0: I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. I think you'll see one of the things you touched on is is the idea that our children are all unique individuals and we so often like i just did refer to children as children as if they're this homogenous group Mm -hmm. where they all have the same feelings and you know that it's right for all of them to do homework as soon as they get home from school or after a 30 minute break we, I notice this with babies. I teach antenatal classes and I think the moment our children are born, they are little individuals and they have certain likes and dislikes that are unique to them. And it's the same with children and their homework. One child will want to just get straight into their homework, get it over and done with. Another child who would have exactly the same day at school will come home feeling exhausted and they just need some food and some R&R time and then an hour later they will be much more. Or there's the child that says, you know what, I'd rather get up early in the morning and do it. And mm-hmm. um, just acknowledging that your child is not a mini clone of you and just because you think that's the right way to do it, doesn't mean it's the best way for them. Because it must be so frustrating being constantly told, this is what's right for you, when you're like, actually, I don't think it is.
1: Yeah, not only is it frustrating, but also I think that it's, it's potentially damaging And is that they don't learn, which is really the most important thing for them to learn. They don't learn how they work. They don't learn what works best for them, because if they are never given the option. I read a really interesting study the other day, which is kind of connected to this, about children knowing when they're full, because it's such a thing that, right, you've got to finish all the food on your plate. It's such a thing to do. That children, that natural self-regulation that they have where they go, hmm, I'm not hungry anymore, they get taught out to that because they're constantly to- told to override that and just finish their plate. Mm. So in the same way, I think when we don't allow children to kind of actually pause and think, hmm, I think it's brilliant what you just said, you know, because it completely breaks the trend, maybe homework could be done in the morning <laughs> rather than it having to be this thing that's done in the evening and,
0: uh, and I sp- sorry to interrupt but even if you do have a child who's like like my son I know will get it done in the morning my daughter definitely not but almost if she's insisting that she wants to do it in the morning I almost need to let her do it let her try it let her make the mistake and let her work out for herself that exactly. actually that's a really bad decision rather than saying no I'm sorry Iona I know better than you you will do your homework now exactly
1: and that's the experience experience is a great teacher you know and again that's the way that we learn that's the way I always relate it back to you know before this idea of education you know comes in what is it that how is it that children learn children don't learn to speak by us sitting down and going Ken Robinson the great teacher late, late educator um, always said you know you don't sit your child and go right we need to speak about this not talking thing right? we need to you know now we're gonna start you know the process of you speaking it doesn't work like that you speak to them they imitate they make mistakes you know even this child I was teaching the other day had said you know he's six but he still said oh I've just took him in the book and it was really sweet that he said took him but it's again they're just they're putting it together and they kind of go right I know how language works and they put the things and they make natural mistakes you don't necessarily correct them you just speak to them and they hear and they learn and when things are hot they touch it and it's hot and they go better not do that again so experience is so key and if those things happen so to go back to my previous example if your child makes a decision that, hey, I think the best thing for me to do is have a 20 to 40 minute break and come home. And then you discover that your parameter, which was that homework needs to be done by 6 p.m. so that we can all sit down together for dinner, and they're not meeting that. Then you can say, well, look, this was the deal. The deal was that I'm leaving you in charge of doing your homework in this two hour window. Now, it looks like that's not really working for you. Let's sit down and think about, well, what's going wrong? maybe you thought that actually you need to have a break, but maybe actually what we're seeing is that you find it really difficult to switch from playtime into work that that's really tricky for you and it's actually causing you quite a lot of stress. And we're having arguments and that's not fun for anybody. So how do you think about maybe actually what you need to do is to start straight away, because then it's not gonna be so difficult for you because you can have unbroken playtime without having that worry of having to switch. And then again, it's a conversation where it's about problem-solving, it's troubleshooting, rather than it being like, right, this isn't working, or I have an idea about what you should do, I'm just going to make you do it.
0: And what, uh, I mean, what, what about when children are just really resistant or resistant to a specific type of homework? And what if you as a parent are looking at the homework going, I see it, it is boring, it is repetitive, it is so dull, I totally get you've had a long day anyway, Should you ever as a parent go, do you know what? Let's call it a day. Let's not do this homework. Or should you always insist that they do some of it? Or how how would you work if you really feel that you're hitting a wall with the homework? Because obviously, you know, the one thing, it's one thing them, you know, having a big fight and hating their teacher. It's a different thing if that ends up being the parent. And if you're constantly battling it's not great in terms of that family dynamic. I mean, so often you see parents who look so, like me, look forward to seeing my kids at the end of the day. I think it's really healthy. And then suddenly we're having a fight over homework. And I just think, I just wish that we didn't have this.
1: Yeah. So I think if homework battles are becoming the norm rather than the exception, there's a couple of things that I always think have gone wrong. The first one is the communication. So the communication around homework has gone off somewhere. And I'll talk a bit more about the ways that I see it often going off. The other thing is that, It's natural for a kid to not want to do certain homework on certain days. That's normal. But if they just kind of just completely across the board, just hate homework, then again, something's missing in how they view homework. And again, we can relate it to our adult experience. It's like, say, for instance, you go to the gym, you might hate leg day, but it doesn't mean that you hate exercise full stop, but you really don't like that aspect of it, but you have a sense of why you're doing it. And that keeps you going and that gets you through those tricky bits of leg day. But if you just completely hated going to the gym, just, just, you know, universally, you wouldn't be doing it. So it's the same for children. If they completely hate homework, then what's missing there, again, is going back to that sense of meaning. What is it that it means to them? And there's that you want to help them find something that interests them. Like I talk about it being the hook, which is basically whatever your kids are already interested in. The simplest way to motivate your kid is to motivate them with what already motivates them. If they're into Lego, then you do something about Lego. I mean, there's so many resources out there, you could, I promise you, you could find a comprehension about Lego in two minutes flat if you wanted to. So that's one thing. The communication. So I talk about there being three main types of unhealthy communication that parents get into, which, cause, which lock them into battles. So those three types are bribery, they are bullying, and they're badgering. So I'll say a bit about each of those. Bribery is kind of obvious. It's the typical thing where you say, if you do your homework, I promise you I'll give you an ice cream, right? Now, what that does is it might win you short-term compliance, meaning that your kid will go, "Mm, okay. And then suddenly they've gone from resistant and they do their homework because of the promise of that ice cream. And so you breathe a sigh of relief because you were stressed out. You know that, you know, dinner meanwhile is burning on the stove. You're stressed and you just want to get it done. And that's what your parents resort to that. But the long-term message that that sends is you're sending the message to kid goes, hmm. I reckon that when I resist, I get an ice cream. (laughs) So (laughs) the incentive there is to resist so that they can get more ice creams. And so they're playing you and they can see the desperation. So I do want to make a distinction between bribery in the moment and rewards. Rewards are okay because rewards are agreed upon before. Rewards are say at the beginning of term, hey, if you do this, whatever it is, If you get an A this term, right, then you can get X reward. Now, preferably, that reward is still linked to something educational, i.e., if they're really into Harry Potter, oh, I promise you, I'll take you to see The Cursed Child, or I will get you, you know, this really special, you know, book of Harry Potter or something like that, right? Make it still connected to education. And then incentives, so that's an incentive, an incentive is before, a reward is where it's like, oh wow, you've done exceptionally good work, I'm going to reward that. And that's fine. Bribery is distinct because that's a that's a desperate measure and that's an attempt at a power play. And that sends the wrong message. Then there's, uh, then there's bullying. Bullying is basically where you threaten and you use the kind of the stick. And you say, if you don't do your homework, no TV for a week. And often it is in that sort of, you're kind of clutching for some punishment. Um, uh, just go to your room, uh, no iPad for, for five weeks, you know? And it's just kind of... And that it's you complete, never follow through. <laughs> and then you don't follow through. And that's the other part, you don't follow through. And all your child learns is that you are unreasonable. And where do you think your child's focus goes in that moment? Their focus doesn't go on to, oh, their behaviour. They don't become self-reflective. All they think about is how unfair mummy is, how, you know, how much of a brute daddy is. And so it's ineffective because the message it sends again is that you're just unfair. And especially if you, what you take away is something that you've already promised them. So if you've promised them, especially if it's for some good behavior and you say, hey, we're going to go for a bike ride this weekend because you did really well at unloading the dishwasher or whatever it is. And then in the moment of homework, you take that away. All they learn is, well, mum and dad's words are empty. Mm. So what's the? But they, I guess
0: they also learn that the way you get through in life is to threaten people and be bullying. Which... Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and then the final one is badgering. Badgering is just basically where you're on your case. Have you done your homework? It's the typical thing that I see with parents where the first word they say to their their children as they step in the door is, "So what homework do you have?" Before they say hello, "How are you?" Check in with them. So what homework do you have? And again, where badgering comes from, it comes from this idea of. Uh, an assumption of incompetence, which is a a phrase which my mentor, Richard Gerber, who wrote the foreword for the book, uses. So as a parent, if you have an assumption of incompetence, where basically you're primed for the next time your child's going to mess up or not do their homework or resist, and so that's your communication's all coming from that place of, I've got to manage you before you and get in there first before you, you know, mess up or don't do what I expect you to do. And again, all that the child kind of learns from that is, you know, What mum cares about or what dad cares about is me simply doing this homework rather than learning from it. All they care about is just making me do it. And again, they resist. So as an alternative, because if you kind of go, well, my God, those are the three things that I use. So what do I do instead? An alternative to that, what I call healthy communication, which really sends you in your relationship. It sends you flowing towards connection and cooperation is the first thing to do is to communicate before. So you actually have a conversation, especially, this is especially important, if it's been going really badly and you've found yourself stuck in these battles. You have a conversation, you go, you know what, let's clear the decks and let's have a conversation as a family about how this is affecting you. Let the kids go first. You might want to use a thing like a talking pillow where you go, each person gets their chance to speak. So they really know that they're going to be heard and they can trust that. Because often if there's been battles, that's another thing that's been eroded is that they just don't feel listened to and they think, what's the point? So you do this process, you clear the decks, you make it a nice occasion, order the favorite uh, takeout, another opportunity to give some children a sense of autonomy. You let them decide what movie you're going to watch and what food you're going to eat. And then again, they get this sense of, and it's just something so easy to do. You know, you don't lose anything as a parent going, all right, here you go. What do you want to eat? And then you go, right, this is what's not been working for me as a parent, because I've been really stressed. I've been shouting at you. I don't like that. I don't like the way that I am when I, you know, get really angry at you. I go to bed worrying about it, if I'm honest, you know, and I feel like I'm being a bad mummy. You definitely don't like it. I don't like the way that, but also it's not working. I don't like the way that you talk to me, right? I find that really hurtful and anything. You just speak honestly. And then you go, right, so let's see how we're going to do this differently. And you set the rules up beforehand so that they're agreed upon and So then if they don't do their homework, it's not a punishment that's made up on the spot. It's like, well, we've agreed upon this. And so again, going back to your example, they're fully aware. So they have a choice in the moment. And if they choose to not do what they're meant to do, well, again, they've chosen the consequence that comes with that because you've spoken about it. Now, of course, there's still gonna be arguments, even when you've done that. So then you wanna communicate during, and that's where the reflective listening comes in. Much better as a parent to listen understand that listening is such an amazing part of communication so you kind of rather than jumping to your normal role and i think every parent will have a sense of yeah i kind of know how i get they say that one particular word or they even just give me that one particular look and the red mist descends or whatever it is and then you kind of catch yourself and you go you know what i'm going to just listen to them and i'm going to try reflective listening kind of reflect back to them how i think they're feeling and i always say to parents it's a really good opportunity to you know, egg it up, if they're feeling a little bit frustrated, you exaggerate and you go, I know you probably want to tear this piece of homework up, set it on fire, put it in the bin, give it to the guinea pigs, you know, <laughs> whatever it is, you just want to trash this. And they will kind of be like, whoa, I'm mean, they're not, they're not that extreme. I don't, yeah, I don't like it, but it's not that extreme. And But get it gets you laughing. Laughter is such a great diffuser. And then again, you can redirect on there. And then sometimes even that won't work. And then you do still have the usual buster. And that's when communicating after is so important. And I, it's so important that it's so often missed. It's, and it's not hauling your children together and demanding that they apologize. That's not what it's about. It's giving them an opportunity to really think about, hey, what went wrong there? And a great um, kind of tool I use is this idea of replays. So a replay is where you get to play a role. So you say to your kid, hey, you know, um, If you were me, let's pretend, let's replay what happened. If you were me in that situation, what could I have said to you that would have made it better? Because I I get, you know, mummy messed up. You know, it wasn't great. What would you need me to say to you in that moment that would have actually helped you? Now, they might not immediately know, but again, them doing that groundwork, doing that grunt work is really useful because they actually go, hmm, okay, what would have helped me, you know? And then another thing that you can do is you can go, right, let's pretend that you and mummy were both much more generous and patient versions of ourselves than we were yesterday how what could we have said what might we have said and the great thing about doing these role plays is that swapping roles and i listened to a great podcast that you did with linda blair and she talks about the vital points of decentering, helping children to put themselves in other people's shoes it's so important and this exercise gets them to do that because they're having to think outside of themselves either thinking as you or thinking as a different version of themselves both work And what's great about it it's it's not so prickly because because you're kind of playing a different role that sense of ego which of course kids have as well isn't so challenged because it's not like you're pointing the finger at me and i have to admit that i've done wrong because nobody likes admitting that they've messed up really Mm -hmm. so it's much easier to kind of just imagine well i guess if i were just a more patient version of myself i might have done this and i don't actually have to admit that i was a really horrible version of myself (laughs) for parents or for children so To kind of summarise, with battles, if it's happening constantly, day in, day out, or even, you know, three out of five times a week, that really shouldn't be happening. The odd kind of resistance, completely normal. And that might just be because they've had a difficult day at school. So if it is happening all the time, the first two things to look at are, clearly there's something missing in terms of what it means to your child. You want to help them discover something, which again comes from them, where they can relate to it. And the other thing is you want to look at your communication as a parent, definitely drop as much as you can the bribery the badgering the bullying and i recommend that parents actually take a journal and just kind of start noting down ah okay i you know this between monday and friday when most kids have their homework i you know mostly what i do is i try and bribe them or mostly what i do is i try and bully them or i'm just on their case all the time and try and drop that and try and replace that with communicating before essentially that's about establishing the rules before you go into it so everybody's on the same page communicating during that's using tools like reflective listening drawing on your capacity for empathy with your child and communicating afterwards recognizing hey we're a family conflict is natural it's actually even healthy we're going to have it but what's important after these ruptures is how we repair and let's do that repair together and let's kind of you know let's get into each other's shoes and let's think about the next time this happens what could we do differently
0: I mean, essentially, you know, it's teaching your children to communicate really, really well. And that's setting them up for the best life, whether it's in any relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship or a professional relationship or just normal friendship. If you God, if we behaved with all our relationships and all our conflicts in the way that you just described, like you'd nail life, wouldn't you? Yeah, you really would. And and it's just interesting because I've always been slightly anti-homework and thought, you know, part of me is like, it's there. We've got to do it. I'm not going to change the system. And rather than fight against it, that's, you know, I might as well just embrace it. But what you've described there in terms of the skills that you develop as a result of the conflict of homework for the first time makes me think, okay, yeah, it's good. (laughs) It's good to have that that challenge.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's why I say so a bit of conflict in homework. is is not a bad thing because we all need to learn to deal with conflict resolution. We need to learn how to negotiate. We need to understand that. I said to parents that relationships are meant to flow between conflict and connection. That's what's actually healthy. And if you had, you know, if you had a relationship with no conflict, if you think about the relationships with anybody in your life that actually have no conflict, they're not your strongest relationships because they've never been tested. You know, there's just not that much investment in them typically. It's the conflict that helps you, and resolving that conflict, of course, that brings you really close together. You go, you know what, I've seen you at your worst, and I still love you, I still care for you deeply, and we were able to get beyond that. So conflict is not a bad thing, but persistent conflict, of course, is not a good thing, Mm -hmm. but it's learning how to work through it, and homework does provide that opportunity.
0: Mm. One of the things you talk about in the book is smart learning, Mm. this idea that actually there is a difference between sort of just mundane, rote, you know, testing and really thinking about how you can learn which obviously as children get older and as you know increasingly there are kind of ever more stringent demands on their time and especially as they get into sort of GCSEs and A-levels what tell me about smart learning and um, how can we encourage our children to achieve this yeah and us I mean I'm, I'm up for it too <laughs> Yeah.
1: okay so smart learning is really about kind of thinking about so this word smart right so many parents come to me and kind of go The first thing when they call me up and they say, oh, the first thing they always are very keen to say is, no, my child, she's really smart. Or he's really smart. I think he's really bright. And then it becomes, once they begin working with me, and then it's like, behind their questions is, is he smart enough? And I say, drop that. Drop the kind of concern about their basic, their their raw intelligence. Really what they want to do is they want to, are they learning smart? Do they know how they learn? which is really about understanding. It's called meta-learning. It's learning about learning. And really, there, it's kind of talking about their growth mindset is a really cool part of this. So it's their ability to know that whatever I know now is not fixed. My abilities are not fixed. My talents are not fixed. I can grow them. I can develop them. Now this, and again, studies after studies showed that, that having that growth mindset, having that attitude is so much more of a predictor of success And academic success attainment but also um, emotional success um, social success then is your IQ so I say that the real thing you want to focus on as a parent is helping your child to develop a growth mindset which in short basically means that rather than a fixed mindset you believe that any talents or abilities that you currently have can be improved so a typical growth mindset type position would be rather than saying I'm not good at maths it's having the power of that word yet so I'm not good at maths yet and simply having that gives me, well, what's my access to getting better at maths? Is it that I need to ask my teacher for some extra help? Do I need to ask, do I need to find what resources there on the internet? For instance, going on to Khan Academy, where they have these wonderful online videos, which kind of explain everything. You know, just, again, go into problem solving. The other aspect of it is developing executive functions. Now, executive functions aren't so well known here in the UK, but are kind of growing a lot more in the US very simple way of talking about executive functions, they're a family of 12 skills. They're neuro, neuro skills, basically. So it involves your things like your working memory, your organisation, your ability to start tasks and avoid procrastination, your ability to complete those tasks, all of these skills. So they're a family of skills that we all need, not just children, and we all use every day to complete any task. Now, what I've found in working with students is often the problems that they have with their learning aren't actually to do with their their smarts, i.e. whether they're intelligent or not. It's actually a lot more to do with the fact that, say, their organisational skills are really bad, so they keep on forgetting their work at school, and they never have the right material. So they're at a disadvantage because, where's the rest of the kids have the tools that they actually need when they come to sit down and do their homework? They never do, so they're always playing catch up. Or their working memory is not great. So when they're actually doing math problems, it's not that they don't understand each individual step, but they struggle to hold part one in their brain once they've got to part three so again but with all these things there's ways that we can develop them there's like coaching strategies that you can use to help children develop their working memory or to help them work with their organization and it's a framework really for helping them to really achieve their full potential because the alternative when they don't understand that actually all that's really going on is that hey you have a weakness in sustained attention for instance and therefore you actually find it really hard to focus for the half an hour that you're expected to What you actually need is to break it into five minute chunks. And if you do that, you're going to sail. Once they understand that, then actually it's one, it's incredibly um, buoying for them. It's incredibly encouraging to understand that they're not stupid because children very quickly internalise this idea that they're stupid and then they get labelled lazy. And in fact, the really important thing to understand about executive functions is that they're not character flaws. They're not personality traits. They're They're simply brain functions. That's literally what they are. The executive functions, they're brain functions. And there's things that we can do about them so part of smart learning is going right i am not so great with my organization so actually let me use a personal example so of these 12 skills personally my task initiation my ability to start things is poor (laughs) essentially my um my organization is poor (laughs) and my um what's the other one Probably something to do with memory, given I can't remember it, but it's <laughs> but definitely my sustained attention and my task initiation are weaknesses for me. And the other thing to say is for parents listening, is that every single person, there's, um, there's a, a questionnaire you can take, which if you do show notes, I can tell you where to find it. And you can find out everybody has three weaknesses and three strengths. So it's across the board. So at least two of mine are task initiation and organization. And the other one is uh, time management. So I struggle with these things. Now, because I know I struggle with them, I can put in methods to help me. So for instance, with task initiation, I, during writing my book, there were times days when I was like, I just don't want to do this. I find it really hard. Plus I'm a self-employed person. So I don't have that structure from outside to make me do things. So I really do have to rely on myself, which really challenges this executive weakness that I have. So I use something called the Pomodoro technique, which is very popular. They talk about it a lot in management kind of uh, arenas as well, which is simply, You break a half hour into 25 minutes, and then you take a five-minute break. And then another 25 minutes, five-minute break, you do four of those, and then you have a 10-minute break, and then you just repeat. Now, I've worked out through the process of writing this book, my sweet spot is 40 minutes. If I can convince myself to sit there through literally all the bodily things that are going on when I'm like, I don't want to do this, if I can get myself to sit down for 40 minutes, I'm golden. Because then what kicks in, which is my strength, is I have really strong goal-directed persistence, which is your ability to see things through until their end. I've got, I'm seriously dogged. So once I start things, I'll be the person that will stay up until 11, and they're kicking me out of the cafe, and I'm still trying to type the last few words. And so when you learn about these things, you can learn to compensate. So having goal-directed persistence is a really good one which can compensate for weaknesses in other areas, because if you can trick yourself or just put something in, then you can do something. But likewise, if you have really low flexibility, which means that you struggle having your schedule change or whatever, anything like that. But you, and often that will come matched with poor emotional control. What you can do then is that you can, but you're really good at your metacognition, which is your ability to think about how you're thinking. Then you can use that to go, you know what, I can think of some strategies to help me here. So giving children these tools are so important to actually helping them learn smart rather than just be smart.
0: And do you think children have to take the test that you were talking about, the online test? Or do you think this is something that parents just observe in their children? I mean, you can see potentially saying, you know what, they are perpetually disorganized. They never have their ruler when they need their ruler. You know, that Mm. would really, really help. But in terms of working memory, that's a little bit more of a difficult one to diagnose and presumably then to rectify.
1: Well, so basically the way the test works is there's three questions for each 12, each of the 12 executive functions. And there's a child version. So I would recommend having the child do it. One, because one of the the chief executive functions, the one that comes on the latest, because these are developmentally appropriate. So the first thing that we learn as kids is our response inhibition, our ability to control our impulses. Because again, you know, you don't just cry out. You learn as a kid at some point, I can't scream the place (laughs) down, that's not appropriate. And you learn that quite early on. The metacognition, that ability to do this high order thinking comes later, but it's still there. So by getting them to do the test, you're helping them already develop that metacognition because they're aware of hey, I struggle with working memory, it also helps them, again, have that buy-in. Because if you're going to do strategies with them, they recognise that it's a problem for them and they can begin to think about where it shows up as a problem for them and why they themselves are motivated to change it rather than, again, it being another one of these things that mommy or daddy is telling me I have to do or is even telling me that is wrong with me, they can recognise it themselves. So what there is, is there's a child version and there's a parent version that you fill in for your child. And it's always very interesting to compare them and to see, oh, my child perception of themselves is that they're really strong in their organization mine is that they're very weak and then you can possibly talk about that so i would recommend that they both do it and then the next step is that you can basically look at there's a really great website called efstotherescue.com it's a canadian pair and they make these wonderful cards where all the characters are basically turned into kind of cartoons with attributes and so it helps them sort of and it suggests some strategies that you can use to start developing them And again, it's just a way of basically making children, um, what's the worst, to help them self advocate, and to help them be able to be self-reliant, which again, is the real goal, I think, of education, preparing them to be adults.
0: Yeah. One of the things you mentioned earlier, and we touched on it when we talked about kind of when, when we do homework, and I talked about the importance of letting them do what they think is best, even though you've are pretty sure it's going to fail is the importance of failure and potentially the challenges we have specifically in kind of the first world where life there is this sort of level of perfection that we all aspire to and it's almost like it is difficult to admit that you've made a mistake and yet mistakes are so important and failure is such a rich and important part of learning mm. when do we start introducing that concept of, of failure and the fact that it is actually a real positive thing to our children
1: well, I don't think you have to introduce it because children experience it. I mean, the experience of learning to walk is all about failure until you walk. But we don't say to the kid, "You don't seem to be very good at this." <laughs> I think you know what? Let's just put you in the pushchair for the rest yeah. of your life. I think I think I really want to save you from the pain of like falling over this many times. It's like you go, you do it until you succeed, and the kid has no problem. They you know they fall and they get up and they you know they toddle around and then they they get better at it. So. I don't think there's necessarily that we have to, you know, introduce children to failure per se, because it's just an inevitable part of life. What I think we have to make sure we do is not shield them from failure and, you know, and allow them to experience the failures that are inevitably going to come. And so this is one of the areas where I definitely think I encourage parents to look at their own relationship to failure, because that's something that can really then influence how they relate to it, because it can often be their parents' own discomfort with failure, which makes it feel really uncomfortable when they see it in their child. And their child is actually okay. But then they can give their children some sense of complex because the parent is so agitated about it and so seems to make such a big deal out of failure. One of the favourite things I learned, which is such a healthy way of dealing with failure, is um, Sarah Blakely. She's from the States. She's the um, CEO and founder of, of Spanx. Um, and her father always used to have these... Um, well, whenever they had dinner her and her sister had to basically share something that they failed at. Like, and if they didn't, if they came to the table empty handed, that just wasn't allowed. They had to be able to say, hey, dad.
0: This is every day.
1: I, I don't know if it was every day. I don't know what she said about that, but certainly frequently. And certainly it was something that she kind of characterized her childhood, saying, hey, dad, we messed up at this. And at the time she didn't get it, but now she really credits it for her ability to be kind of entrepreneur and her ability to be brave, essentially, and to take risks, which of course are needed in the world and now in her company she's instituted it as oops meetings where they literally put on britney spears oops i did it again and they blur it out and people high-five each other and around the office they say you know what i did i completely got the the facts and the, the the numbers wrong this week and i cost us x amount of money oh my god you know and they just have this culture where it's okay to have mistakes so i genuinely say to parents have oops meetings make a playlist go on to spotify What songs could you put on? Already, you've got one. Britney Spears. Oops, I did it again. What else could you have there? And then just make mistakes fine. The other thing you can do to actively cultivate this is... When children, I find, are really struggling with their self-esteem and they're really struggling with a sense of failure, I get them to really think about it. So I say, finish the sentence off. Mistakes are whatever. And they may say, mistakes are really bad. Mistakes are something I make all the time. Mistakes are... They might come at that. But then to get them to get to places where they go, well, mistakes are normal. Mistakes are inevitable. Mistakes are just part of learning. Mistakes are proof that I'm really pushing myself. I'm stepping outside of my comfort zone. And you can also have, there's a really lovely acronym for FAIL, which simply is first attempt in learning, which I really like there's many things that you can do to share with them to kind of help them to start reframe failure and thinking about well and help them to see places where they have failed previously but then one they learned from them and now they've succeeded and ask them to think about again it's about their metacognition helps them to think about well what is it that led to you succeeding now because that used to be really difficult for you I remember a time when you used to cry and you got really upset but now it's fine so what made the difference? And then say, well, if you did it then, you can do it again. But what's for sure, and I mean, for this book, I spoke to child psychologists, I spoke to mindfulness experts, I spoke to psychiatrists, I spoke to you know, ed- educators, and literally without fail, everyone said the importance of helping your children to discover failure. Because if they don't, if you shield them from it, they don't learn how to be self-reliant. And actually, when failure does come, because you know they're going to get to a point where you simply can't protect them from it they don't have the wearable they don't have the resources to be able to cope with it and rather what they do is they sort of they get overwhelmed by it rather than just seeing failure as something natural that they have the tools to handle
0: it um it makes total sense in that for me the biggest benefit of homework is potentially going through that process of failing at it Mm. so that you can recognize how you then manage it to make it more efficient Yeah. yeah So ultimately, homework is about failing at it rather than achieving it perfectly. (laughs) Well,
1: I don't know if I would say that. I would say that it's a welcome aspect of it, which should be welcomed and embraced. And I think it's a beneficial part. If I were to say what homework is really for, I would say that homework is about about discovery in many ways. So homework should be, I say that homework is everything that you do in the home to help your child discover themselves and to thrive today and tomorrow. And so that real focus on today, because we have this kind of idea of like education always being about the future and never about now. And we will say things to our children like, yeah, if you do your homework now, it's because, or you do, you know, you've got to get good grades now because then you will get to, you know, get good GCSEs and then good A-levels. Then you can go to a good university. Then you can get a good job. And then you can, you know, get a good house and then, you know, have a decent mortgage and then you'll be happy. And it's like all this delayed gratification... (laughs) And it's the, what about now? And what about, you know, we you know, know that it's so important to try and be more in the present moment. And yet our conversation to our children about why education is important is anything about, about the present moment. So that's why homework is about helping them discover who they are now, not just who they could potentially be in the future. And I think that's the most important part. So it's about helping them to discover their interests. It's giving them an opportunity to discover that. So for that to happen, I think many of the ways that we do homework need to be adapted because too much of it is learning by rote, which doesn't allow them to discover anything, let alone about what they're interested in. So within that umbrella, I think failure is important because it's about discovering, well, who are they in the relation to, relationship to failure? You know, how do they cope with failure? And what do they do when they... What do they do when they see that they've not succeeded in something that was important to them? Well, who are they going to be in the face of that? And again, that's back to the self-discovery.
0: Amari, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you. I feel much more confident and positive about homework. So your book is out in December. Yeah. It's called The Secret to Happy Homework, The Seven Hidden Laws of Success. And I'm presuming you'll be able to find that wherever you, you know, get exactly your books from. Exactly,
1: So on Amazon, it'll be available on my website. And we're also looking into the different bookstores it's going to be available in as well.
0: Perfect. And your website, it was where?
1: So my website is www. You don't need to say that these days, do you? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I don't know why it's www. It
0: gives you time to think about what the website name is, though. <laughs> yeah.
1: But it's believeinlearning.com.
0: Perfect. And are you on social media?
1: Yeah, I am. So again, it's believeinlearning, And that's the same on Instagram and on Twitter. Actually, on Instagram, on Twitter, it's believelearning because of you don't have enough characters. But on Instagram, it's believeinlearning.
0: Perfect. Amari, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all for downloading another episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review us wherever you found this podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogle. But in the meantime, from Amari and me, thanks for listening <laughs> and goodbye.